Um, Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 139. This is God's word. He's given it to us because he loves us. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. O that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flowers fall. God endures forever. You may be seated. Let me open us up in prayer one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words of hope and comfort. We thank you that it it has the power to change and transform lives. May the words of my mouth now and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, again, my name is John. It is my privilege to share God's Word with you all this morning. And I mentioned earlier, I am the RUF campus minister at UC Berkeley. Um, RUF is <clears throat> the college ministry of the PCA, the denomination that we're a part of. Um, and so I'm honored to be here. I'm pretty new. I just started in July uh, when I moved up here. And so I'd love to talk to you guys more about it and share more about it afterwards if you especially know of any family members or friends who are maybe students at Berkeley, I would love to get to know them as well. So we'd love to, to speak with you afterwards. Uh, but doing RUF, doing college ministry, a lot of my time obviously is spent with college students, and a lot of the topic of conversation recently uh, has been about movies, and especially superhero movies. Right? Marvel's all the rage, Disney+, Plus. there's a lot of superhero movies and TV shows. I just saw the new trailer for the Black Panther 2 movie that's going to come out, I think, next month which is really exciting. And every time I end up talking with my college students, for example, about superhero movies, the same question always inevitably will arise. 
And that question I'm sure you guys have has, had people ask you that before is, if you could be any superhero with any superpower, what would your superpower be? And my, I've had a lot of debates with a lot of students, a lot of friends, a lot of family, and my answer always ends up being the same. And if I could have any superpower, the superpower I would want is I would want infinite knowledge. I would want to know everything there is to know about the world, everything about the future, everything that other people think about me. Um, that's the superpower that I would want. And I think given all that you and I have experienced in this year, it's already, the year is already over three quarters finished, which is crazy to think about. We're in October, but it's been a tough year, right? If we think back about what's gone on in this year, it would be nice to have this power of infinite knowledge to know what would happen, right? If you think back to January, that's when we were dealing with the Omicron variant for COVID. A couple weeks later, actually, the war in Ukraine happened and still ongoing, there's still uncertainty with the economy and the housing market and inflation and rising interest rates and how that's going to affect our finances. And there's uncertainty just in the next month with the midterm elections, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of tribulation that we've endured in this last year. And those are only the big ticket news items. They don't even include the personal struggles and the personal trials that you have probably gone through this year. Right? Maybe some of you have had to deal with financial struggles. Maybe some of you had to deal with health scares. Maybe some of you have deal- had to deal with loss of loved ones or relationship conflicts at your home with your spouse, with your kids, or at work with your boss or other fellow coworkers. It sure would be nice to know when these trials and tribulations would be over, how they're going to work themselves out. Well, obviously, none of us have this superpower to know everything. But in our psalm today, David reminds us of someone who does have that power. Right? Psalm 139 is a beautiful text. It's a familiar psalm to a lot of us. There are a lot of wonderful truths about God in this psalm, but there is one crystal clear truth about God that permeates this text, and it's the truth that God is omniscient that he knows everything there is to know, and specifically, he knows everything about you and about me. Right? He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're struggling with, and he knows how he's going to work those things out. We might not be able to understand why we're facing the difficulties we're facing. We might not be able to understand and make sense of it, but we can trust in a God who knows what he is doing, and that he will get us through it. David needed to remind himself of that truth, and you and I need to be reminded of that truth today. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning, that because God knows everything about you, you can fully trust in him. Because God knows everything about you, you can fully trust in him. And we're going to look at three ways that God fully knows everything about you. First is God knows what your situation is. Second is God knows where your story began. And third is God knows what you're searching for. He knows what your situation is. He knows where your story began. And he knows what you're searching for. 
right? So first, God knows what your situation is. David starts off this psalm by painting a pretty clear picture of how God knows all about your present circumstances and whatever it is you're dealing with. If you look back at verse 2, David says, God knows when you sit down and rise up, he discerns your thoughts. In verse 3, he knows your path. He knows you're lying down. He's acquainted with all your ways. Verse 4, God knows what you will say even before you say it. David is describing how comprehensive God's knowledge of you is. There's not one aspect of your life he doesn't know about. God knows when you are relaxing in bed or better yet, relaxing at the beach on vacation to knowing when you're dragging yourself out of bed to get to work or to get to school. Right? God knows when you've accomplished something great, like graduating high school or college or getting a promotion at work or having a child to the things that you struggle with, like if you're going to the hospital for a health diagnosis or if you're trying to find a job to make ends meet. Right? God knows all of those things about you. And God doesn't—he doesn't just know what your situation is, but he knows how you will respond to your situation. He knows the opinions you have about what's going on in the world. He knows what you think about what's going on at work or at school. He knows how you feel about your family. God knows what you are going to tweet or post on social media even before you post it. And God even knows what you decide not to tweet and not to post on social media. Uh, my parents came to visit me about two months ago. I'm from Taiwan, so I grew up there. My parents are still in Taiwan, and I hadn't seen them for over three years because of the pandemic. And I was living in San Diego at the time. I was a youth pastor at a church there. And so they came to visit me in May, and, in, and it was uncanny to me how well my mom still knew me even after three years of not having seen each other in person. Uh, There was one morning, one Saturday morning, no, Sunday morning, I went to pick her and my dad up to get breakfast before church. And I went to pick them up. They were staying with my brother. Um, My mom opened the door, and the first thing she said to me when she saw me was like, John, you did not brush your teeth this morning. Now, just to just—I— brush my teeth. I brushed my teeth this morning. Um, but just to give some context, we had just come back from a youth retreat Friday and Saturday. I was dead tired. I had gone home, knocked out, and just woke up and gone to pick up my parents. So she was right. I was thinking in my head, mom, how did you know? How did you know I did not brush my teeth that morning? And if that's how well my mom knows me, even after three years of not seeing me in person, How much more does our God know about us? And David here gives us at least two reasons why God knows all these things about us. One is because God is actively and specially interested in you. Look at verse 1. David says, God has searched me and known me. The word search there It has the connotation of like a treasure hunter digging for treasure and leaving no stone unturned. It has the idea of a lawyer pouring over through through so much evidence in preparation for a trial. The Old Testament uses that word to describe spies as they're spying out a land. Right? David is describing God as someone who takes special effort to seek you out, to know you, 
from knowing your biggest dreams and aspirations down to the color socks you're wearing this morning or what cereal you had for breakfast. Now, David isn't saying that God has to do such a thorough search in order to know all these things about you, in order to know all your circumstances, right? We know God's knowledge of us is infinite, it's immediate, but what David is doing here is he's using vivid language to describe how much God knows you. And the second reason why God knows your situation is because he's everywhere, right? There is no place you and I can go where God is not there. And David asked that rhetorically in verses 7 through 10, right? If there was somewhere that God was not present, if David went to heaven, God would be there. If he went to Sheol, which is the underworld, God would be there. In verse 9, if he takes the wings of the morning, which is the east, right? Sun rises in the east, God would be there. And if he dwells in the uttermost part of the sea, and that for Israel, that was west, right? The sea was west of Israel. If he dwells in the uttermost parts of the sea, God would be there. North, south, east, and west. There is no, there's nowhere David can go in this universe where God is not there. Now, you might hear those words, and you might think to yourself, mm, John, that sounds a little bit smothering, right? For us, as Americans living in America, we definitely don't like it when people know everything about us. And for sure we don't like it if they're following us everywhere. But David here, he's not describing God as like Google or Amazon who hear your conversations and all of a sudden you look on your phone and there's an ad for that, right? It's uncanny how technology can do that now. But God is not, David is not describing a God like that. David is describing a God like a parent who is lovingly and carefully watching over their child. Right? God specially searches us out because he cares for us. God is everywhere with us so that he can hold us and lead us and guide us, like David says here in verse 10. God knows us and our situation and our circumstances not to be nosy, but to help us get through them. And I think that's, that is the most beautiful and comforting truth about the fact that God knows everything about our situation. God doesn't just know about your present trials and tribulations, but he knows how he will bring those things to an end. Look at the second part of verse 16. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. David is getting here at the truth that God has a plan for you. He knows your future. He has numbered, God has numbered our days. I know when you hear that, especially in English, we have an idiom, right? Your days are numbered. That sounds like a threat. But actually here, it is super comforting. When you go to the doctor's office and you are scared and nervous about a diagnosis that the doctor is going to give you or tell you, you can be confident that there is nothing the doctor that can say that will change the amount of days in your life. The doctor can tell you things about your health. The doctor can tell you what your body is doing and how your body is reacting, but there is nothing the doctor can say or do that will shorten a day of your life 
because your days rests in the hands of a sovereign God. Brothers and sisters, trust in a God who fully knows your situation. Amidst all the difficult and distressing news that swirls around us, live not in fear, but in faith that your Heavenly Father has already determined your days, and nothing that this world throws at you can ever change that. All right, so first, God knows what your situation is. But secondly, God knows where your story began, right? As David is reflecting on how much God knows him and his circumstances, he naturally goes all the way to the beginning when God created and formed him at birth, right? God knows all of us. He fully knows us because he was the one who created us in the first place. He knows the beginning of our story, I think a lot of times when you and I think about creation, we think about God creating the heavens and the earth. We think about creation in general. But I wonder how many of us actually ponder and contemplate on the truth that God was also our very personal creator. Right? That's what David reflects on in verses 13 through 16. He describes God as knitting you in your mother's womb, that he intricately wove you together. It's very similar to Isaiah in Isaiah 64. God is the potter, and we are the clay. And David here, he's not just saying God created your physical body, but God also created your emotions, your passions, your desires, your personality, your character. Verse 13, when David says, God formed my inward parts, that word inward parts literally means inward organs in Hebrew. And it's a Hebrew idiom It's a Hebrew way of saying your entire inner being. God knows you so well because he created every single thing about you. He knows he created the number of hairs on your head all the way to, to creating whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. All of your passions, all of your desires, all of your personality, God designed everything about you. And that just shows us how much God cares for us, doesn't it? God was so meticulous when he made you. He formed you with such painstaking detail. We don't just, you and I don't just come into existence because of a biological reaction. But as one commentator put it, we we are the artistry of divine activity. That's why abortion is such a big deal to us. That's why sometimes we plead with people, don't get an abortion, because God knew you even when you were in your mother's womb. God knew you when you were an unformed substance. When nobody else could see you, God was making you in secret. And if this is who our God is, a God who cares so much about you that he carefully designed you down to every last detail, then we know we can trust him because that means he created us for a reason. God put you on earth for a purpose. There's a reason why he made you the way he did. David praises God in verse 14. He says, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That phrase, fearfully and wonderfully made, maybe you've seen that on like bumper stickers or like Christian coffee mugs or something, and it's a very beautiful, very familiar phrase to us. But if you think about it, what does that mean, fearfully made? That's a confusing phrase 
sometimes. But that phrase, fearfully made, it has the connotation of being distinct. It has the idea of being set apart. David praises God not just for creating him, but for creating him to be a part of God's plan. Similar to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Right? We can trust God because God knows the beginning of your story. He wrote the plot of your story, a plot that ends with your hope <clears throat> and with your future. Part of knowing our story, though, is also knowing our faults and our failures. And God also know those too. All right, look at verse 11. <clears throat> this is the part of the section where of the psalm, David's been asking God where he might flee from his presence. Right, David has already acknowledged that there is nowhere in this world that he can flee from God, and so he asks about a scenario where darkness covers him. Why would David want to hide from God? Right, why would he want darkness to surround him? Because David is a sinner. And because David knows that God knows he's a sinner. We've seen this in other places of the Bible, right? When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, when they ate from the fruit that God had told them not to, what did they do? They tried to hide from God. That's in Genesis. And then all the way in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 6, the apostle John has a vision he has a vision of people on earth who rebel against God, and those people call on the mountains and on the hills to fall on us and hide us from the wrath of God. From the beginning of mankind to the end of humanity, no one can stand it when God comes to hold us accountable for our sins, and our default reaction is to hide from him. Right, David knew this only too well. David was a man after God's own heart, but David was also very—he knew full well his own sin. And his most famous one that we probably all are familiar with is when he had an affair with Bathsheba, and then he murdered her husband, Uriah. Can you imagine what David felt like when he was being confronted by Nathan, the prophet? Right, my secret— is out. My deepest, darkest, most heinous crime is about to be made known. What is God going to do to me? Is God going to remove me as king of Israel? Is God going to forsake me and my family? Is God going to kill me? Those might have all been things that David was thinking about in his head. And so naturally, a natural reaction of his might have been to want to flee and hide from God, to hide so that his sin would remain in darkness and not have the light shine on it. And so you can imagine the relief then when David heard Nathan say, the Lord has put away your sin, you shall not die. David still had to suffer the consequences of his sin, right? But God did not forsake him. God did not leave him. God did not kill him. God knew how heinous David's sin was, and yet God still loved him. 
The same is true with us, brothers and sisters. God knows your sin. He knows what you tried to hide from everyone else, from your church, from your family, from those closest with you. He knows the deepest and darkest secret that you would never want, you would want no one ever to find out. He knows those things, and he still loves you. And the question is, why? Why does God still love you, even though he knows all your sins? And the answer is because of David's greater son, Jesus. All right, look at verse 12. David says, Even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. The darkest moment in the history of humanity was when the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died on a Roman cross for your sins and for my sins. God knew that when he was knitting you in your mother's womb, that his son was going to be torn apart on the cross for your sins. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself and endure that ultimate darkness for you and for me. But praise God, even that ultimate darkness was not too dark for him. God knew what he was doing. And as David says in this psalm, truly darkness is as light with God. Right? Jesus turned the darkest night in the history of humanity also into our brightest day. His death washed away our sins. And three days later, he rose from the grave so that you and I one day also have that hope of that resurrection with him. Right? Jesus went through that ultimate darkness for you and for me, so that you and I would never have to endure that darkness. That's why even though God knows all your sins, that's why even though he knows all your shame and guilt and dark secrets that you think nobody else knows, despite all that, he still loves you. He loves you because of what Jesus has done for you. And what's most amazing to me is that God knew all of the sins you were going to commit. He knew all the wickedness that was in your heart, and, he, and knowing all those things, he still sent his son to die for you. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he treasures you. Right, how can we not help but trust in a God who loves us that much, who knew how sinful we were from the beginning, and was still willing to send his son to die for us. That leads me to my last point. God knows what you're searching for. Right? Knowing everything that Jesus did for us, how he turned our darkest night into our brightest day, how should we respond? What should be our heart's desire? David tells us at least two things we should desire and search for, and both those things God knows and he will provide. Right, and the first, David tells us, is we should ask, we should look for and ask for deliverance from sin and wickedness. All right, verses 19 through 22, David shifts now from praising God to asking God to deliver him from evil, to bring his righteous judgment on those who are against God. David has been reflecting on how much God knows him and cares for him and loves him, how God who formed him, who knows all of his shortcomings and still loves him and is there for him, 
And so David's response is one of loyalty to God. Hatred for those who are against God. And what about you? What is your attitude towards sin? Does knowing how much Jesus sacrificed to save you inspire you to hate sin? Do you have the same posture as Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he has a vision of God on the throne high and lifted up and he realizes he is a man of unclean lips because he has such a sense of his own sinfulness and unworthiness? Right? The truths in Psalm 139 should spur us to want to be killing sin and not have sin be killing us. But as you read verses 19 through 22, or as you hear verses 19 through 22, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable saying the same things that David says here. Right? How can we pray the same thing he prays here, asking God to slay the wicked, to hate those who hate God? Well, we can pray those things the same way Jesus taught us when he taught us in the Lord's Prayer, right? When we pray the words in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are praying that at the same time the kingdom of Satan be destroyed and that the enemies of God be eliminated, right? And after everything Jesus has done for us, we want his kingdom to come. We want his justice to reign, We want to be his loyal subjects. And so that leads me to the second thing that David tells us we should search for, which is the way everlasting, right? Not only should we be searching about our sin and killing it, but we should be searching out how to live our lives in a way that glorifies God, in a way that signals to the world that he has saved us, that we are his. That's how David concludes the psalm. Verses 23 and 24, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David wants God to fully know him, to know his worries, his hopes, his doubts, his aspirations. He is looking for God to show him how to live amidst all those feelings. God knows what David is looking for. And he has led David in the way everlasting. Is that also what you desire? Is that also what you are searching for? Let me close with a, with a personal story. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, I, li- I, was in, I grew up in Taiwan. I went to high school in Taiwan. I went to a, a, a Christian school, an international school there. And so I had a Bible teacher that I really loved. He was not only a great teacher, he was not only very knowledgeable, but he was also very kind. He was also very caring towards his students, and I loved him. He was, my, he was my Bible teacher when I was a senior in high school. Now, one time during the semester, we had like a midterm or a test there, and I did not study a lot for that test. In fact, I didn't study much at all for that test. And so during that test, I cheated to try to get a better grade. Right? And I knew he didn't catch me because days— and weeks went by, and nothing happened, and I was initially pretty scared at first, and I was pretty ashamed and pretty felt, felt guilty, but after a while, I was like, hmm, he didn't know, nobody knows, we're great, moving on. Now, unbeknownst to me, one of my friends in that class, she saw me cheat, and so she went and told him, and so a couple weeks had gone by. I get a text from him. He's like, hey, John, how are you doing? Let's grab lunch sometime, and I thought this was just a normal lunch, 
right? I thought he was going to ask me how I was doing in school. I thought he was going to ask me about my college applications that I was going through at the time. I even thought he was going to tell me how good of a student I was and, and going and gonna, to and congratulate me on how well I was doing in school. Right? Little did I know what was coming, but when we sat down for lunch, he said two words for me that I still remember to this day that shook me to my very core. He sat down, and the first two words out of his mouth were, I know. When I heard him say that, I froze, right? My heart was racing, and I thought those two words were going to be my condemnation. I thought I was going to fail the class, get kicked out of the high school. I thought I was going to get rejected from all my college applications. I thought I was going to bring shame and guilt on my family. I thought my friends were going to forsake me and reject me. I thought all those things. And yet those two words, instead of being my condemnation, actually turned out to be life-giving for me. Right? I still suffered the consequences of my actions. I still failed that test. But my teacher didn't, he didn't condemn me or kick me out of school. Right? Instead, he prayed with me. He cried with me. He forgave me for what I did. He loved that dumb 17-year-old boy who thought his world was just crashing down. Brothers and sisters, you have a God who is saying to you, I know. You have a God who knows your circumstances, who knows your sin, who knows that you long to be fully known and yet also fully loved. The good news is, he does. Right? He fully knows you, and he fully loves you because of his son, Jesus Christ. And may we entrust our lives fully to him, knowing that he will lead us in the way everlasting. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows us. We thank you that you are the God who formed us in our mother's womb, that you are the God who has numbered our days, that you are the God who knows us and cares for us from womb to tomb, and that you are always with us. We praise you that even the darkness is not dark to you, and that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to suffer the ultimate darkness for us, and in doing so, turn that darkness into light. May we live our lives echoing David's prayer in this psalm. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.